Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Please remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from us this morning from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, it is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of the flock out of the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a David for a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jason and Tamara and everybody and Harrison. I don't know if he's still in here, but sheesh, rock star on our hands. I like that. It sounded great. Uh, Quick, quick little commercial. Hope to see you tonight at Harvest Dinner. Uh, Jason and I, toward the end, are going to have a little conversation in front of you about the things for which, the experiences for which we are most grateful uh, this season, so hope to hope to see you there tonight. Today's kind of a big deal. Next Sunday is the start of the season of Advent, which means that today is Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday is a, is a pretty big deal. I mean, it is the day that we gather and we say to one another and to anybody else who dare to listen, we have but one King. We have but one king, and it is this Jesus character. It's a relatively new, as far as church holidays go, it's a relatively new uh, holiday. Somewhere around 1925 is when it first kind of comes on the scene, during a time that, that people started to have very important discussions about leadership. What is leadership? I mean, Christ the King Sunday is the day when the church talks about leadership, what it is, what it isn't. It is an interesting time for uh, me to tackle the subject matter of Christian leadership, especially on a week when I've just returned from meeting with some of our elected leaders in Washington, D.C. Now, it sounds more important than what it is. Actually, it's very important. Uh, Let me try to explain what's going on. Uh, Wes Veach and I, and, and Kelly as well, have at times been asked by the One campaign, now this is going to be confusing, because we have our own nonprofit here, which is One, but it's, it's an acronym, Our Neighborhood Empowered. There is another organization that it understands itself to be One, and it's not an acronym, it is the One campaign. Their One campaign is to eradicate poverty and disease, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. And having a heart for Zambia like I now have, I, I saw this as an opportunity to, to try to make a dent uh, where our friends in Africa, Africa are concerned, but it's not by raising money, it's not by doing all the other things that we do to try to help Africa. I, I do it by going and saying to the people who are elected to office, you need to cast your vote to help people somewhere else, not just here, but somewhere else. And so I get to go and, and say and sit in these offices and, and say these things to people. The One Campaign is a very cool thing, but I have this little short video that gives you some idea of sort of the ethos of the One Campaign. All of us are here, are all searching our souls for how to better serve our family, our community, our God. The one thing we can all agree all ideologies, that God is with the vulnerable and the poor, and God is with us if we are with them. 
That's what God's doing, that's what he's calling us to do. People of faith, let's get involved in what God is doing. When churches started organizing petitioning on AIDS and global health, governments listened and acted. But there's so much more to do. This is not about charity, it's about justice. You hear that call on the One Campaign. For the girl in Africa who gets to go to school. The African entrepreneur who can start a small family business. The AIDS patient who gets her medicine. On we go in the pursuit of justice. United in the belief that where you live should no longer determine whether you live. Really rewarding work, and I love it. I, I haven't told you, I've been moonlighting on you a bit. <laughs> Going to say to these people, hey, we, we should help, and you have the capacity to help just by the casting of a well-placed vote. And I gotta tell you, we've been able to have some success along these lines. But it is an interesting dynamic. And so, I go. As a minister of the gospel, this is not first and foremost, a Christian thing, but there are a lot of Christians that are a part of the effort. Uh, and I go as an unabashed Christian, an unapologetic Christian and a pastor, and uh, there's lots about Washington, D.C. that I love and that's, that's beautiful. I mean, I mean that's, that stuff's beautiful, right? Now, I will tell you at times, it does give me some pause when I recognize that these beautiful buildings where very important things happen, especially that one on the top right, but a lot of these buildings are meant to remind you of uh, Greek and Roman gods. Sort of by design, some of these buildings are meant to mimic some of the ancient architectural designs and ideas that we see all over the world and throughout history. There is very intentionally this sense there that you can see politics and religion collide. Everybody see that? I mean, it's one thing to disagree with an elected leader. It's another thing to disagree with an elected leader who happens to be sitting somewhere in or near a building that looks like it's supposed to be a religious structure. And so on Christ the King Sunday, I get to be the guy who stands up before you and asks the question, who is actually functioning as our king? Who's functioning as your king? Who is it that's, that's functioning as my king? I, I've written some things. I want to make sure I, I get out correctly. And so I go. Sometimes other people go to Washington, D.C. to have very specific conversations with elected leaders. And when I go, I go representing the one that I acknowledge as king of my life, who happens also to be the king of the universe. And I go on behalf of people who are in harm's way, orphans, widows, immigrants, the powerless, the poor. By the way, all people that God mentions specifically as people that God loves. And that people that we are called, by virtue of being Christian, people that we are called to serve. And to people who feel the pressure at times, these elected leaders, uh, to people who feel the pressure at times to be saviors or maybe small M messiahs at times. And, and, and you can kind of get why they do because sometimes they are supported with what looks like religious fervor. Right? Am I the only one that sees that? It's not just the presidential candidates at times who are supported with what looks like religious fervor, it's also the people down the ballot that you perhaps believe are our society's last hope. I deliver messages to those people, and in the process, I hope I'm getting a very specific point across. <laughs> I need your help, but you're not my king. We need your help, but I'm about a different kind of kingdom, right? And by virtue of being a representative of that kingdom, I am here to ask 
for your help. Now, I have met some really, really good people. They are not all bad people. I have met some absolutely uh, heroic leaders who are servant leaders, and still they don't measure up to this Jesus character that we have heard so much about and we pray to and sing about. Christ the King Sunday is supposed to help us to understand the difference between the best of the servant leaders that we would elect and this Jesus that we understand to be king of the universe and the orderer of our steps. And all God's people said, And Christ the King Sunday is supposed to be a recap of the journey that we as a church have taken together this year. A journey that always ends in the same place. It ends in a moment of retrospection. (laughs) When we look back and we see this whole journey, they see the unfolding truth of, of the person of Jesus. And we, on this day, re-establish his throne, at least where our lives and our reach is concerned. The now and not yet king of a now and not yet kingdom that is, and, and this is important, I want to make sure I emphasize this every time, a kingdom that is and will take shape here, not just the hereafter, but here, because this is our project This is what it means to be us, you and I. We are not just ambassadors and instigators of all that's coming. We are the first evidence of what will someday be a worldwide reality. And just so you know, that is the wisdom behind not just the preaching on Christ the King Sunday. That is the wisdom behind the preaching strategy found in the entirety of of the Christian calendar. It is meant to be a year-long teaching project that over the course of a year introduces and then solidifies and ultimately celebrates that Christ is not just our king, but the king. So this was fun. I kind of just worked through, uh, we were just finishing up year C. Today is the last Sunday of year C. Next week, we launch into year A with a very similar project to year C. Tell us more about Jesus. But this past year, we started off in Advent with this little series, Home is Closer Than You Think. And what we were trying to get across is this, this kingdom thing, it has begun in us and it's closer. This home is closer than you think. How might you participate in the now toward the not yet? And then we move to Epiphany in one of my favorite series that we have ever preached here called, oops, called uh, Called Up. And we used all these good baseball movies and these baseball stories to talk about how it is that God fits us for this kingdom work, this Epiphany kingdom work. Now, you perhaps would hear something like this during Epiphany. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. And in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. And we are shaped to be people who not only honor and worship this Jesus as king of the cosmos and king of the universe, but we are also shaped to be people who further, who further that reign. And then there was Lent, very skinny wrists and Lent. In desolation. Now, we tell all the difficult stories. All the difficult stories during Lent that would perhaps compromise our understanding of this one who is king. And we tell the stories of all the other times when other people would contradict this belief of ours that this Jesus is king. You know, like the people who mocked Jesus while on the cross. They said stuff like, you know, if you really are our best hope for president, I mean king, then take yourself down from that cross. Come on, prove it to us. We understand kings and leaders and presidents to be all about power, the accumulation of power, so that finally our leaders can give us what we want. Because isn't that what we kind of want? Isn't that how we cast our votes? I mean, how often do you vote outside of your own self-interest? And when Jesus didn't seem to have the goods to deliver what these people would want, they mocked him for dying. (laughs) 
you remember who came to his defense? The other person who was dying. One of the criminals joined the chorus and said, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, I finally get it. You're the king of the world. Now it's a different kind of king that leads a different kind of kingdom, but I get it. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied to him, truly today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. We move from desolation then to consolation. Consolation. I remember Easter Sunday, it was packed. Few more people than we have here today. It was packed and we celebrated that this Jesus did the thing that no other king, no matter how many votes another king might have gotten, Jesus did the thing that no other king has ever been able to do and that's conquer death and all God's people said. So there was something, there was something about this Jesus. And if you couldn't see it before, certainly you could see it in the resurrection. There's something about this king as this king lays claim to our lives, to our decisions, to our votes, to our pocketbooks, to all of life. There's something about this king that's different from every other king. The message is amplified in the moment of Pentecost. And then we spent the entire season of Pentecost. It's been six months that we've been doing this part. (laughs) Six months, you guys. Common time, the season of Pentecost which is the time set aside on the Christian calendar to train people to be the people of God. And you can't train people to be the people of God without reinforcing on a regular basis, this one's king and this one's not. This one is our ruler and leader and this one's not. This is good leadership and this is not. It's a story, ours, with the capital S. It has room for so many different titles and subtitles, the story. (laughs) So many giant themes and so many sub-themes. But one of those themes very well could be about leadership. I would submit that it absolutely is about leadership. A potential title title for our story might be leadership. When it's good, it's great. And when it's bad, it's terrifying. Or when it comes to leadership, there's Jesus and then there's everybody else. Or... Why isn't our God good enough for us? Why isn't our God good enough for us? The disease suffered by the people that Jeremiah had in mind all the way back in in Jeremiah 23, that disease seems familiar to me. It's certainly not new. As our story reminds us time and again, the people of God have always been vulnerable to the temptation of mixing and confusing our allegiances. Why are the people of God always so intoxicated by mere whiffs of power? I mean, find a ruler or a leader who promises good stuff, and it seems like, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about all the people who aren't here today. But find us a ruler or a leader who promises good stuff and it seems like we will always vote in our self-interest and opt for the person who will get us our stuff even if that means turning our backs on our first king and first calling. One of the truths of scripture goes like this. Bad leaders always put people in danger. Always. Jeremiah places blame for the Babylonian exile squarely at the feet of bad leadership, bad kings, bad shepherds who lead the flock astray. But he also puts the blame at the feet of those who took the bait, the people who, in their self-interest, followed a king who promised stuff 
And in the process, stop doing the things that make us us, that are representative of the God that we sing about and pray to and celebrate. And, and here's how that goes. We are to be where the people on the margins are, serving them in the hopes of creating a better way to be alive. But that wasn't happening. That wasn't happening in Judah. And so speaking through the prophet, God says, woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbors work for nothing and does not give them their wages, who says, the king says, I will build myself a spacious house with large upper rooms, and then who cuts windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting, with, painting it with vermilion. Jeremiah, God asked through Jeremiah, you ready for this? Are you a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He, Josiah, judged the cause of the poor and the needy, and then it was well. Is not this to know me, says the Lord? Maybe part of the problem that our leaders have is on us. I've already kind of mentioned it. This religious fervor that I think is absolutely based in our belief that I have to have A, B, and C, and candidate, this one, promises to give me A, B, and C, which I really need and I really believe is crucial for the hope of our society. Maybe, it's, maybe we have overexpected where our elected civic leaders are concerned. Maybe we expect our elected and civic leaders to fulfill the roles that are only meant to be fulfilled by the Messiah. Maybe we have at least played a role in creating some monsters. What do you need? What do you need in your king? Let me ask, let me ask it maybe even more personally, as it has to do with Jesus. What do you need from Jesus? What do you expect from Jesus? And how does that compare in contrast with what it is that you need and expect from the person who has gained your trust and earned your vote? There should be a huge difference. Perhaps the kings during the time of Jeremiah, perhaps the kings slowly but surely started to understand themselves as saviors and messiahs. And perhaps they decorated their palaces like you would for saviors and, and messiahs. And in the process, again, became terrible, monstrous leaders. And God seems to have had enough. So Jeremiah 23, 1. Mm. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Verse two, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, it is you who have scattered my flock. It is you who have driven them away and you have not attended to them. So God says, and see if you can hear this in God's voice, so I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. That's ominous. I mean, especially for the bad shepherd king leader, God seems to be saying, you have neglected to take care of my sheep, and so I am going to take care of you. And then God seems to say, and by the way, I will take my rightful place as the rescuer and savior of my people. Verse 3. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Brueggemann says this, the hope of God is not nullified because of Judah's failure. In the long run and through anguish, God's hope 
overrides the historical covenantal failure. Oh, friends, I'm going to read that again because a lot of us should be feeling better. Ready? You should feel better at the end of this line because this is truth. Ready? The hope of God is not nullified because of Judah's failure in the long run and through anguish, God's hope overrides that historical covenantal failure. Verse four, God says, I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them and my people shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Again, from Brueggemann, the new community which God gathers is regarded as a real historical possibility. The hope of Israel is concrete, this worldly, and offered against the despair of present circumstances. Verse 6, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. That name is the Lord is our righteousness. Okay, let's be clear. I don't think that the first audience or the first author had Jesus in mind, but we have the benefit. We have the benefit of hindsight. And as everybody knows, hindsight tends to be 2020 or better. And we look back, we look back at this and we go, oh, you know what? I think this Jesus really does do quite well in fulfilling and embodying these words. The righteous branch of David, the one who reigns and deals wisely, one who executes justice and righteousness because he is, by the way, the image of the invisible God. He is our righteousness, the means of our right relatedness, our right connections with the God who saves and is moving things toward completion. Now, we still have struggles and we still have competitors for terms like leader. We still have the kinds of struggles that cause great and deep anguish and fear. And I have seen it in the face of my friend, a guy by the name of Mike Gerson, who has over a period of time become a friend. Mike Gerson uh, is, a, is a Republican, a very conservative sort of person, uh, but, a, but a Christian. And he has been in and around Washington, D.C. for decades, in fact, he was a part of the speech writing team, main speech writer for George W. Bush. He was the one who got in front of George W. Bush and said, we've got to do something about AIDS in Africa. This guy was the one who did that. And he helped over a period of time by virtue of these speeches and being in the president's ear, he, got to, he was a person who really helped push the issue. And now we have this this piece of legislation that it's a law now, and it's about 30 years old, called PEPFAR. Uh, The President's Emergency Proposal for AIDS Relief. And after that, it was the GFSA, the Global Food Security Act. Mike Gerson was crucial in the creation of those things. And literally, people, tens of millions are, are alive today who would not have been alive otherwise. If not for the COVID pandemic, we were actually bending the curve down on TB and malaria and AIDS throughout Africa. We were winning until COVID. We'll get back on top of it, but we were winning that battle, largely because of Mike Gerson, who joined the AIDS, the AIDS, the one movement to help articulate what it is that we're trying to do and the scope of the whole thing. But he always did so as a Christian, I watched as this guy deteriorated in anxiety, watching how far Christianity had strayed from the call of Christ, from the leadership of Christ. I watched him tremble in anxiety because of it. Mike passed away this week at 58. I'm 55. (laughs) I should not edit that out. Let's take that out. Ready? I'm 36, so. He had, he probably didn't know it, 
This, this is a sweet guy who didn't quite know what to do when Kelly would hug him. <laughs> this is a guy that my friend Wes Veach, he, he follows, hangs on his every word, still will. Me too. I, I just found him to be someone who could help capture a third way and say it so beautifully. I'm going to read as a tribute to him, but it's also, it just fits so well in Christ the King Sunday. I want to read you a couple of chunks of the last thing he wrote and published. Here's a zinger. He kind of started off with this. <laughs> it has been said that when you choose your community, you choose your character. Well, that was all free of charge. But listen to this. He said, Jesus rejected the role of a political messiah. In the present age, he insisted, the kingdom of God would not be the product of Jewish nationalism. It would not arrive through militancy and violence, tactics that would contribute only to a cycle of suffering. Instead, God's kingdom would grow silently, soul by soul, among you and within you, across every barrier of nation or race, in acts of justice, in acts of peacemaking, in acts of love, in inclusion, in meekness, in humility, and gentleness. Ugh. But when we are caked with the mud of political struggle and tired of very, very costly victories that only seed new hatred and frightened by our own capacity for contempt, the way of life set out by Jesus comes like a clear bell that rings above our strife. It defies cynicism, apathy, despair, and all ideologies that dream of dominance. It promises that every day if we choose can be the first day of a new and noble manner of living. Its most difficult duties can feel much like purpose and joy, and even our halting, half-hearted attempts at faithfulness are counted by God as victories. God's call to us, while not simplifying our existence, does ennoble it. It is the invitation to a life marked by meaning, and even when, as mortality dictates, we walk the path we had feared to tread, it is a pilgrimage in which all is lost and all is found. He says, before the final consummation, Christians seeking social influence should do so not by joining interest groups that fight for their narrow rights and certainly not those animated by hatred, fear, phobias, vengeance, or violence. Rather, they should seek to be ambassadors of a kingdom of hope, mercy, justice, and grace. He says, this is a high calling and a test that most of us, myself included, he said, are always finding new ways to fail. <laughs> but it is the revolutionary ideal set by Jesus of Nazareth who still speaks across the sea of years. Listen. The challenges to remake Christ in our own image will continue to be constant. And like you, for me, it will be impossible to withstand them without the regular rehearsals of our stories, of our story, capital S, and without the regular exercise of our liturgical muscles. Let I me mean, hear me say it again. The temptation to remake Christ in our own image, the temptation to force our elected leaders into Messiah-like roles, those temptations are not going to cease. And they're going to be so constant, so constant, that there's no way around you being affected, there's no way around me being affected without the absolute regular rehearsal of our stories and the exercise of our liturgical muscles. All right, forgive me for just one minute. I'm going to meddle. I'm, I'm really, I'm only going to take about 30 seconds, 60 seconds. I love you desperately, and you cannot be Christian here once a month. Because what we're doing is exercising. Now, maybe your body's different from mine. I can't exercise once a month and see the benefit. Anybody can?
in order for it to make a difference, not unlike health and wellness, let's say, where your body is concerned, this will mean a lifestyle adjustment, coach, right? You can only, if you're only going to practice once a month, then the bulldogs aren't going to be so good. No, we're doing the hard work, the exercises that break habits and then create habits. And listen, it has always been the case, and it will always be the case, that the biggest threats to your consistency will not be the bad things, it will be the good things. You and I, I, I'll just confess, I can't do this Christian thing as hard as it is without regular trips to this table, without regular immersion, immersion in the story, without regular reorienting to my king. Otherwise, I am going to be susceptible to all the other king makers out there, all the other would-be kings and queens and monarchs out there. Happens all the time. I have to be here to orient, but that's just me, your pastor. I think that was only 60 seconds. Just edit it down. And so we bring year C to an end. Right here. (laughs) The perfect place to bring year C to an end. If you are coming to help us set the table to finish up year C, go ahead and come on down. And so we bring year C to an end around this table. And today what we're doing is we are celebrating what we have learned to be true throughout the 52 weeks of this journey. We have learned this to be true. Sure enough, Jesus is our king and all God's people said, whoa. But that's what we're doing here. And so Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Hopefully, God, with pieces of bread and with sips from this cup, hopefully, God, we are strengthened and reoriented, encouraged, given the capacity to see you and not the other as our king, to see you and not the others as our ultimate sources of hope, our ultimate source of hope, Hopefully there's something about this liturgical practice that can today and over a period of time as these effects accumulate help us to draw a very clear distinction between you as our king and all others that we might otherwise trust with our hope and our future. So in a second, I want you to Join me to celebrate the ending of a journey that ends with the celebration of Christ being our king. By the way, we'll do this again next week, and it will be the start of another journey that we hope over a period of time will further cement in your mind that this one is king and this one is not. But today, we celebrate the culmination of that journey. So in a moment, I'll ask you to stand to your feet to exit your pew to the left, your left, and to come forward and approach these people holding plates of bread. If you will do so, please, with your hands cupped. Once you reach that person holding a piece of bread, that person will take a piece and press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Now, he or she will be referencing a very specific story. In some ways, this is the moment that our Christ was, in fact, made king. Take that piece of bread, don't eat it just yet. Dip it into the cup. Once you do, that person holding that cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Now, this again is another reminder of a very specific story of how it is that this Jesus was enthroned as king. Broken body and shed blood of one who died and did not stay dead. That is the stuff of kings right there. Once you have taken and eaten I hope you'll find a place to pray. I'm going to today as well. After the confessional prayer, I'll find my place to pray. But I hope you'll find a place. Now, if it's at one of the side padded altars, then we will meet you there to pray a prayer for healing. If it's at one of these mourner's benches, we won't assume anything. 
But somebody at some point may touch you on the shoulder to remind you that you don't pray alone. You may want to make a special trip here to dip your fingers into this bowl because this water is meant to remind you that you belong to this Jesus, to remind you of the moment of your baptism. Who is welcome? All of you who know that you need grace, that you need this grace that's on offer today. If you know that you have need of this grace, and that's me, then you are welcome at this table. There is no other way by which you qualify. Now, all are invited, but none are compelled. If you would rather sit this one out, it's perfectly fine. If you would rather take communion, but with the prepackaged elements, then those will be available to you as well. I think there are some in the back, but there are also some that will be available to you as people walk down the aisles. All are invited. None are compelled. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, he took the cup, he held it up before them, and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, said our king. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. Friends, today we eat and drink toward a fuller and deeper and more complete understanding that this one is our king and others are not. And so all who are willing to partake in that project, if you would now, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to strengthen and encourage the people of God. words of confession before moving to a place of prayer myself. Father, grant us now the courage and the capacity to see how it is that we perhaps have worshipped poorly, and by that I mean perhaps have allowed someone else to take a place where we're only supposed to give our allegiance to you. Someone else has captured our attention and we have granted to them deep hope. 
Give us the capacity to see if and when and where we have done such a thing. So I'll get out of the way now and let you pray that prayer of confession. hear this. May the almighty God have mercy on all of us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit keep us in eternal life. Jason. And I'm sure a few that will gather around him at this prayer for anointing with oil. I'll pray, say a prayer for him before his surgery tomorrow. And I just want to let you know in a few moments some words of prayer, but it's been a hard week for the Goodwin family. Uh, our, one of our beloved members, Bonnie Goodwin, she had surgery this week as um, she has continued to battle cancer in her life. And then right the next day after her surgery, her sister Betsy at 46-year-old just suddenly passed away of a, of a seizure. So you'll want to be praying for Matt and for Bonnie and their kids, for Betsy and her family. And we're going to begin by that. But I just wanted to let us know that. Would you just be praying for, for them this week? The funeral for Betsy will be on Wednesday up in Topeka. And Matt's been away with our teens on fall retreat. And they're just such an incredible family. But we will be praying and then close in prayer for John in a moment. But thank you for your prayers for the week ahead. And Jesus, we do gather in prayer for these moments, asking for a few people in the life of our church who need a specific strength and healing touch from you. And God, we ask that you be with Bonnie as she recovers from the surgery, that God, you would give her a clean bill of health and future in the days to come. Be with her as she recovers and Matt and their family. But God, we ask that you would be with them as they recover from the loss of Bonnie's sister so suddenly. God, we ask that you would surround this family with your love and your grace and be with them this week and this Thanksgiving. God, we ask that you would take care of all who mourn, all who've experienced loss, all who for this Thanksgiving will be the first or the second or the however many Thanksgivings it may have been without a loved one. We, God, ask that you would bless all who mourn. God, we ask that you would bless all who mourn with the violence that has taken place this week in College of Idaho, University of Virginia. We ask, God, you would take care of places that like in Colorado Springs experiencing grief this morning and places like Ukraine have experienced war. God, all who mourn this week and in the days to come, would your spirit come alongside, bring a strength of your peace, comfort and presence. God, we ask that you would be with some more of our friends, like all of Logan on fall retreat as she prepares for the days of her upcoming surgery. Braylon Friday in Tulsa, as he continues his calling, but away from us. That God, you would take care of Drumendorf, Glenn and Betty Fain, Kareen's friend Kennedy, my friend Matthew, and no doubt some who have come into this room with someone on their heart that you know needs God, needs God's healing touch. And so in these moments, would you pray for that person who you came in with a heavy heart for? And for many of you, I'm gonna be praying for our friends at Fall Retreat, and Pastor Avarilla and all the sponsors who've gathered over there uh, in Siloam Springs at New Life Ranch. God, we ask that this incredible week, this incredible weekend that they've had for fall retreat, we ask God that you would be with them, bring them safe back home to this space. But God, would your love and your grace and your compassion and your friendship and this youth group from sixth grade to 12th grade, God, have such an incredible time together. And as I transition to pray for Pastor John, continue to be in prayer for those people who you know need a specific healing touch from God in your life.
Some of you have never been to a healing altar before. It's nothing to be scared about. We uh, have just a little bit of oil. We don't believe this is magic, but usually what a pastor does is they'll kneel down to someone that they love with something that they need healing for. And they'll, they'll place a hand on their hand and say a prayer. And so after this, you may wanna do this in the future. If you know you need God and need healing for something, it can be anything, it can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be spiritual, but any way in which you feel like you've come to a place where you want to kneel at an altar and say, God, I need you and your healing. And so Pastor John, we've gathered around you in this space, all who are here with their hands on your back and gathered in this space in this church online and really over the world. And God, as we've gathered around your servant, Pastor John Minendorf, we ask that in your great grace and compassion and healing, that tomorrow's surgery would be a marketed healing of his life and that you would restore the healing in his life and the hearing in his life. God, we ask that you would be with doctors, nurses, technicians, all who gather around who are so skilled. And God, we do believe in the providential means and agencies for the healing of our lives. And so God, in these moments, we trust John to you. And I anoint John with oil for healing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you would prepare his heart, his mind, his life, and his body and his ears for these moments. And God, we trust you that as we walk with John in the days and weeks to come, his hearing would be restored. And God, as our pastor, we do pray that God, he would hear us and hear our amens even louder and clearer. But God, we do, even though it may sound a little silly, ask that he might hear more from you that your spirit would speak to him and he would hear and respond. And the year ahead, you've given him this vision to, to have the year be just so focused on Jesus and prayer. And so God, we thank you for that and ask that you would work in your, his life, your spirit, for an infatuation with the person of Jesus and of prayer. And may it begin today and tomorrow and the days to come. Jesus, we love you and we commit and give our pastor over to you for healing. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, I probably played, prayed a little bit longer than I normally would. I don't know, probably got long-winded. Not all of my prayers for you. If you'd like to gather in the future at a healing altar, will be like that. But it's always a place of grace and of trusting God and of healing. And would you, in these moments, as we conclude our time of prayer, Pray the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.